of heights to the depths of the sea. And again, it, it's interesting that the two men, Absalom and Ahithophel, who came against David, we're going to see that they are ultimately the ones whose lives were taken, and yet David lived. Although he deserved death, he was, God had chosen him, and God was going to preserve him as he will you. And not only that, but David deserved death because of what he did, but God forgave him, and David repented, and he truly changed. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of 2 Samuel and reviews David's exit from Jerusalem to avoid a battle with his son Absalom, who is attempting to take over the throne from his father. As we begin chapter 17, we see there is another person behind Absalom advising him how to overtake David. This person was Ahithophel, one of David's original advisors. Ahithophel advised Absalom that only a quick, selective attack against David would work. He advised urgency, doing it all while David was still west of the Jordan River. Now let's join Pastor Rob with our lesson for today. All right, let's open our Bibles this evening to 2 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapter 17 and 18 this evening. Last time we were together, we looked at the 16th chapter, which saw David going into exile because Absalom, his son, had formed an army in Hebron, his birthplace, by the way, away from his father, building a following for himself, and then finally coming into Jerusalem, and David... Unfortunately, a little too late, hears about it, and instead of engaging his son, he decides to just leave and to take the royal family and those who would follow him and and just leave Jerusalem. And you remember in chapter 16, we saw that he was doing that, and what David would do is right, right to the southern part of the Temple Mount that you and I know today, there is a sliver of land, like if this was the Temple Mount, there's a sliver of land that goes down and is kind of like this, and it's called the Zion. This is really the part that's Zion, the city of David, and that's where David had his palace. And so David is leaving his palace, knowing that his son is on his way, and he takes the royal family, everyone who would follow him, leaving Jerusalem, leaving the Zion, going down into the Kidron Valley, which is east and continue going east and then finally going up the Mount of Olives and then, and then continually going and probably taking the, the same road that is a road, that one of the main roads, the main road to get from Jericho or Gilgal in that area down in the Jordan Plain 
to get from Jerusalem down to that area is an all-downward, uh, meandering uh, road. And that road is still there today, by the way. It's paved now. It's two lanes each way. But that's the same ancient road that they use because it's in between two mountain ranges. It's a perfect place to, to go and to climb up into, to make your ascent into Jerusalem. So David is either on that road or somewhere over in the Judean wilderness. Either way, he's going to go eastward and go down uh, from the Mount of Olives and then make the slope down into the Jordan Valley. Ultimately, he's going to cross the Jordan River and tonight we'll see that he'll lodge in the eastern side of the Jordan River in an area that you and I know as Gilead. Anyway, he's making his way east. David is leaving Jerusalem, and on his way, we looked at chapter 16, and we'll just quickly summarize this. As he's going, one of his, uh, a trusted man, a man named Ziba, who uh, took care of Mephibosheth, which was one of Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan's son which would be King Saul's uh, grandson. He was lame in his feet, and David took care of him, even though um, Saul's family was adamantly against David, and they hated David, but he took care of Mephibosheth for his father, Jonathan's sake, for the covenant that they made with each other before Jonathan and his father, Saul, had passed away. So this guy, Ziba, who was really his caretaker, um, uh, he comes out to David as he's leaving. He brings a, a bunch of food for him and the people that are leaving with him. And, and we'll just leave it at that because there's a lot to that. We already looked at this last week. And so David continues on there with this mess of food that Ziba had brought to him. And as he makes his way through uh, Baharim, which is an area on that road that I was speaking of from Jerusalem going down into the... Uh, Jordan Valley, there by Jericho, there is a, 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 a little town, a little village there called Bahurim. And so David is making his way uh, through there. Actually, am I thinking of something else? It could be. Making his way east, let's just say that. And so there's a guy who comes out. And his name, yeah, it is Baharim, I'm sorry. And his name is Shimei. He was a Benjamite. And as David and his family are in the valley and they're going... Shimei is up on this little ledge, and he's throwing rocks, and he's cursing David and saying, bloody, bloodthirsty man, you deserve everything you got coming, as if David didn't already know that he had sinned. God had forgiven him, didn't he? he David knew he was forgiven, but there were consequences. David willingly took those consequences. He didn't fight against it. And, and see, that's, a, that's a, a wonderful trait in a person and a person that you know that God is really broken, when they're no longer fighting against God, even after they know they've been forgiven and there's consequences coming, they're not the kind of person to just shake their fist at God and say, why, and, 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 and rebut him and rebuke him and get angry against God. David was just like, you know what? Whatever God has planned for me that's negative, I deserve it and much more. So I'm just going to accept it. And that's a truly broken man. And that's a good place for us to, um, to get to. It's not an easy place. It's not an easy place to be in. Nobody likes it. We'll avoid it like the plague if we can. But what sweet fellowship and a sweet brokenness that was in David at the time. And so he makes his way, and Shimei is just running his mouth and just really pounding David into the ground. And then, um, and then we find out that um, back, at the, um, back in Jerusalem, Ahithophel, who was 
uh, Bathsheba's grandfather, we believe. He is now confederate with Absalom, joining ranks with him. And he had every reason to be angry with David because he, t- he killed his, his granddaughter's husband, Uriah. And now he has a child, actually had four children with Bathsheba. And the fourth one was Solomon, who would inherit David's throne, unbeknownst evidently to the rest of his other sons that he had given birth to and Hebron, his other six sons. So anyway, so there is a confederacy now with Ahithophel and Absalom. And so Absalom uh, encounters Hushai, who was one of David's friends. And, and David, um, excuse me, Hushai, really kind of took it from uh, Absalom, meaning he, Absalom was very leery of Hushai, and for good reason, because David and Hushai were very close, and Absalom was like, what are you doing back here in my administration now when your friend is crossing the Jordan? And he had every reason to feel that way, but Hushai was really a planted mole, and he was willing to do that. He was willing to listen and, 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 and kind of befriend in, in a beguiling way Absalom so that he could hear what was going on so that he could get word back to David. And, and we'll see tonight the, 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 the chain of command or the chain of, of, um, of communication, I should say, that David used, that he planned ahead of time to kind of know what was going on back in Jerusalem. And so let's pick up in verse 20 of chapter 16 because this whole chapter 17 is really... Uh, it really has two characters in it, and that's Hushai and Ahithophel. And we're going to see uh, that very obviously. So let's look at uh, chapter, excuse me, verse 20 of chapter 16, because this is when it gets interesting. So Absalom said to Ahithophel, who was a great counselor to David, and now he's confederate with Absalom. He says to Absalom, uh, or Absalom says to him, excuse me, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and he left ten of them. And all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. And then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. And so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. He actually went up there and had intimate relationships with David's harem, if you will, the, the, at least the ten ladies who were left there to take care of the house. And David left them there. I don't really know why, but he did. And so now Ahithophel says, i got a great idea, Absalom. If you really want to make this thing cemented and, and confirm your your kingship in David's place, you go into his harem, because that's usually what a king did when he conquered another king. He would steal his harem, and uh, the harem would be his. And so this is just one step that he would take to uh, cross the Rubicon, in a sense, the point of no return, because once he did that, things were in motion that could not be undone, even more so. And so Dave, uh, excuse me, um, Absalom heeds the advice. So the advice of Hithophel which he gave in those days was as if one had inquired of the oracle of God. So this man was obviously highly respected, uh, a very wise man, and he, he really was. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, his reputation wouldn't have preceded him like it was or like it did. And notice it says, So was all the advice that Ahithophel, uh, both with David and with Absalom. And by this very act of Absalom, what he did with those ten ladies up there on the top of the palace, God foreknew. 
See, Absalom was a very headstrong, a very um, uh, lustful leader. He was, he was hungry for power. He would do anything to get it. He was a patient man, but beguiling and very crafty. And by doing this act, whether he knew it or not, God had already told Nathan, the prophet, David's seer, if you will, to tell David. So God told Nathan to tell David, David, this is what's going to happen. Because of your rebellion against me, David, and you've been forgiven, you've been forgiven, David, but because of the murder of Uriah and what you did with Bathsheba and stealing her and, and having that illicit relationship with her, as a result of that, there's going to be consequences. And you remember what they were. In, in your margin of your Bible, in that verse there, you might want to write, um, like on verse uh, 22, you might want to write this reference, Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. So 12, colon, 10 through 12. And go back and read that. But let me read it to you because God is fulfilling His promise uh, not as promise, it is a promise, I guess, because God knew what was coming. He knew what the consequence would be, and he told it in advance. It's a prophecy, and that prophecy was this. It's recorded for us in chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. It says, Now therefore the sword, and this is the consequence for David because of these things, therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And we already saw that his son, Amnon, was already killed by Absalom, his half-brother, because Absalom, or Amnon, excuse me, had raped his half-sister, who happened to be uh, Absalom's full sister. They had the same mother and the same father. And because of this, the sword would never depart from your house, which we have seen it's already partially fulfilled. Because you have despised me, God says, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And thus says the Lord, behold, and here's the second phase of that promise, of that prophecy. And we just saw it come to pass. God said in advance, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, meaning Absalom, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, David, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And again, I find it very interesting that God had already told Nathan and David what was going to happen. He even uh, told them, in a sense, the, the ungodly advice that Ahithophel gave to Absalom. The result of that ungodly advice, we'll see that come to pass even more as we go on as well. But it was Ahithophel's idea, go in and sleep with your father's harem and secure this this role for yourself. And for a man whose reputation had, um, who had preceded him concerning his counsel, God had anticipated what he was going to speak. And I find that very exciting and also very frightful at the same time. Because in Psalm 139, it's one of my, you might want to write this in the margin of your Bible, Psalm 139. It speaks of God's omnipresence. It speaks of God's omniscience. A Psalm of David. Notice what he says. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Isn't that amazing that God has the ability to know what you're going to be thinking three days from now? It hasn't even crossed your thoughts yet, but God could tell you right now if if he so chose to tell you exactly what you were thinking, what you'd be eating, what, you, what words you had spoken that day, he could, write, he could send you an email. He could text it to you and say, oh, by the way, 
Three days from now, you're going to say this. Oh, not, no, it's not going to happen. And then the, co- the cock crows, right? Three times, and you're like, oh, that was me. Oh, I, there's the text. God, you're so amazing. <laughs> See, he lives outside of time. He is so different from you and I. He's almighty God. He's not just a man. He's almighty God. Learn to reverence him for who he is. Don't bring Jesus down to your level. No, he is far, way high above anything, above all of his creation. He is the uncreated one. He is the one who inhabits eternity, always has and always will. He's in a class all by himself, and yet he desires and loves to have fellowship with you and I and to communicate with us and to love us and then to be for us to love him in return. It gives him pleasure for us to love him and to give thanks to him for all that he has done. And if there's, there's only one person in the world that we should be giving thanks to and praise and honor, giving him our whole life, everything that we are, and that's God himself. That's Jesus Christ. No one else deserves that. But notice what it goes on in Psalm 139. It says, You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways, and for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. I just love that. For the unbeliever, that's frightening, and even for me it can be a little frightening at times, but I also find that very fascinating, that God knows what's coming And he's told us enough. He's told us enough in his word, prophesying in advance, telling us he's a good shepherd. He goes before us. And here he is. He's telling David and Nathan, this is what's going to happen. And it came to pass very literally. And Absalom wasn't fulfilling some script. He didn't get the script. David didn't go to him and say, oh, by the way, Absalom, i got to tell you something. Uh, The Lord spoke to me and he told me that you were going to do this, so um, make sure that you do it. No, none of that nonsense. Absalom was completely bent on his own selfish desires, selfish ways. This was something that David and Nathan knew, and maybe a few others, if any. And to me, this is just the proof text of God's greatness. The proof text. This happened also again in history, going forward now in time. In Second Kings chapter 6, there was a king of Syria at the time when Elisha the prophet was alive. And um, Syria's military plans were being revealed to the king of Israel, because they were enemies, Syria and Israel. And God was revealing to Elisha the prophet the king of Syria's battle plans. And so much so that the king of Syria began to get furious. And he's, he said this in verse 11 of Second Kings chapter 6. He says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, because everything that he did, it seemed like the Israel knew about it. And, so, and he called his servants and he said to them, Will you not show me which one of you is for the king of Israel? Which one of you is the mole? And I'm sure nobody wanted to go, Oh, that was me. Sorry about that. I... He paid me a lot more and off with his head, right? Nobody would stand for because nobody did. But notice, and one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Like when you were standing before the mirror going, Boy, I used to be much thinner when I was in my 20s. And now look at you, you got that little pot belly. You know, Mr. King of Syria, Elisha knows all about it, you know, because God is telling him, right? 
So our words, our thoughts, they're not hidden from God. He knows them all. He knows them all. What a wonderful thing of God. And again, it's interesting that the two men, Absalom and Ahithophel, who came against David, we're going to see that they are ultimately the ones whose lives were taken, and yet David lived. Although he deserved death, he was God had chosen him, and God was going to preserve him as he will you. And not only that, but David deserved death because of what he did, but God forgave him, and David repented, and he truly changed. But now he's truly living out the consequences. He's truly living out the consequences. Don't be afraid of consequences. And don't let your consequences continually pound you into the ground. Okay? You have to understand that. There are consequences for sin, for bad choices. Ask God to forgive you when you know. And then when the consequences come, don't think that God has somehow not, all of a sudden, he changed his mind. He doesn't change his mind. If you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you. If you do not believe that, trust me, Christians, brothers and sisters, your life is going to be unstable. You're going to be feeling like the love of God is capricious, and one day I feel like I'm loved, the next day I don't feel like I'm loved. Hey, listen, if you live life like that, you're going to be all over the map, and you're going to, your life is going to be a mess, and you're not going to even enjoy your walk with Christ. Trust the Scripture and believe what he said. Believe it with all of your heart. It honors God when you believe him. It honors him when you take him at his word. When you say, I am going to believe this. Why? Is it because I just feel it? No, it's because he said it. He said it, therefore I believe it, and that settles it. Let it be settled once and for all in your heart and be like a pit bull and just grab onto it and don't let go. Don't let go of that truth and you will be blessed. Even when consequences come afterward, you will know you're forgiven. And some of us need to hear that because, myself included, I can get down in the, in the, in the depths. <laughs> I can get discouraged. I could have a really bad day. I could have a series of bad days. I could have a bad week and think, man, God has just left me. And I know people like that where they're, they're so prone to that and they trust their feelings more than they trust the Word of God. Listen, when you're down and you're feeling like nothing, that's the best time to read those promises again and say, Lord, I know that you've forgiven me, so you're not rubbing my nose in this because I deserve it. You have taken it, and your blood has covered this. Say it out loud if you have to, and believe it because it is true, and you can count on it. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 17. So moreover, Ahithophel, he said to Absalom, now let me choose. Notice who's speaking here. It's not Absalom, it's Ahithophel. He says, now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise, and I'll pursue David tonight. I will come upon him when he is weary and weak, when he's walking out there in the, in the, in the Judean wilderness on his way down to the Jordan Valley. I'll come upon him when he's weary and weak. I'll make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Only him. We don't care about anybody else. There is a surgical hit. There is a contract out on David. And Ahithophel says, we'll take him out and let everybody else go. Bring them, we'll bring them back, and I'll strike only the king. And again, if Ahithophel is truly Bathsheba's grandfather, and we believe he is, he had a great motive for seeing David not only deposed from his king, his, his, his rule, but even killed. And even though God had forgiven them, uh, Ahithophel evidently had not. Isn't that interesting? God can forgive you, but people will not. 
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.